This is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at Le Banks St. Samson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Supernatural joy. I don't want it empowering in their life. You want to be empowered in life. You want strength to face, I suppose, the difficulties, the pressures of life. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is your... The joy is just this incredible empowering. I just want us to, to, to cultivate this joy in our life. That's a very interesting thing about it. You know, there are four... 14 different Hebrew words for the word joy. Also, there's six, eight different Greek words. And joy is defined as a shout, proclamation that can be manifest in singing. Joy is defined as triumph. I like this one. Cheerful, calm, delight. How many need a bit of that? Cheerful, calm, delight. And often because of the various, the, the, all the words that are described, that shows how important joy is. Ten different Hebrew words, six different Greek words. That often shows in the culture how important a certain thing is. Do you know, it's, it's an interesting fact for you, okay? You can use this when you, have, when you play trivial pursuits. Do you know there are ten different words that Eskimos use to describe snow? How many would say snow is very important to Eskimos? <laughs> And so they've got different words. How you describe snow in ten different ways, I don't know, but they have ten different words for, for snow. And it just shows you how important this aspect of joy is. And I think the Bible describes all these different aspects of joy. There are different dimensions of joy. Now, think about this. The foundation of joy is the fact that God is a God of joy. I love to say this. God is in a good mood. And he's always in a good mood because God is always good. Because he's always good, it means he's always in a good mood. And so the foundation of joy is the fact that God is a God of joy. I just like to say this simple fact. God is good, the devil is bad. And that's simple, but it's so true. Many years ago, Lydia, and she used to do ballet, she used to kind of point her toes. And the way they did it was, you have, you know, Bad toes, or naughty toes, are when you don't point your toes. When you point your toes, that's good toes. And so you need to have this aspect. God is good, the devil is bad. And because God's good, God demonstrates it by doing good things. He heals. He delivers. He blesses. Because he's good, and because he's good, he does good things things. Hey, God's good. They say, God is good. And because God good, God blesses, God heals, God delivers, God sets free, because God's a good God. Look at Acts 8, 7, because here is this amazing story where, how many would say this morning, the good, the, the, the gospel is what? Good news. 
Sometimes you wouldn't believe it, but that truth is the gospel is good news. And whenever this gospel is declared and the full works of this gospel are demonstrated, look at the response. Acts 8 verse 7. Speaks of the ministry of, of Philip when he goes to Samaria. It says, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and, and the lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Great joy. As the good news of the gospel is released, the result is seen. The goodness of God results in the joy. And I think God wants us to have an encounter so we can have an encounter. We can't give joy unless we've received joy. So we need to encounter God's goodness. And as we encounter God's goodness, as we encounter God's presence, we encounter so we become an encounter. I just say it's almost as simple as kind of, the best way to describe it is is, is all this sense of drinking and leaking. Really, the kingdom of God simply is this. It's simply drinking and leaking. If any man comes after me, let him thirst after me, and out of his innermost being shall flow. I drink of God's presence. I drink of all the blessings, all the goodness of God. I drink it into my being, and I leak what God's pouring into me. And I just want you to see that God is a God of joy. God pours joy into you so you can release joy. There's almost this sense of, of living your life with an overflow. Often says God's purpose for you is not just to be filled. If you're filled, it's just for you. The overflow means you leak. What God pours into you, you overflow, and it reaches out, it impacts of it. In other words, what God's pouring into you, it just overflows into your life so that you manifest it and you touch others. So I believe God wants to fill you with joy so you overflow joy. And the joy begins to impact and touch others. And so we are to, to manifest, the Bible says, the kingdom wherever we go. The question is, what does the kingdom of God look like? What does the manifest presence of God look like? I think it looks like miracles. I think it looks like healings. I think it looks like doing acts of love, blessing people, joy. That's what the manifest presence of God is like. It's joy being released and being manifest. And so joy is the key characteristic of God's presence. In his presence there is what? Fullness of joy. I believe this picture that God is a God full of joy. One of the great deceptions that the enemy puts over people's minds is that God is miserable. God is is so miserable and, and just so unhappy. That's why he's so angry with everybody. And often we've never had a concept that God is so full of joy. The Bible pictures a God that he's leaping, he's dancing, he's smiling. That's what God's like. You know, the third of the kingdom is joy. But the kingdom of God is not a matter of food or drink. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That means a third of the kingdom is joy. Think about it. Righteousness is my standing before God. I'm made righteous not by anything of my own acts or my own abilities, but simply by the blood of Jesus. 
By the blood of Jesus, I've been made righteous. I am the righteousness of God. I have a right standing with God. And the Bible says the kingdom also is peace. Peace means that God, that I'm aligned with God's will and purpose. The kingdom of God, I'm aligned. I'm in, I'm in agreement. When enemies make peace, they come into agreement. And through the blood of Jesus, the Bible says we have peace with God. That we've come into agreement. We've come into alignment with God's will and God's purpose. So the kingdom brings me to a right standing with God. It brings me into peace with God. But thirdly, it brings me into the joy of God. Can you say, man, the joy of God. And I actually believe with all my heart, joy is, is a conduit. It's what the gospel flows through. Everything flows through joy. Joy is an attitude. We've got to have an attitude of joy. Joy is the way we do things. We don't do things through moaning and complaining. We do it with joy. And as we respond, the power of the gospel flows through joy. How many would respond to a gospel that is miserable? Isn't that right? You respond because it, as that gospel is, 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 the, is released, it comes through joy. The gospel is released through the atmosphere of joy. Where there is miserable, where people are heavy, where people are depressed, that is no conduit for the gospel to flow through. But I think when there's joy, it's a conduit. It's the way the gospel flows. Joy is also characteristic of the coming kingdom. Isaiah 61, verse 7. Let me say, God, give me joy. Isaiah 61, verse 7. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. Instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be in their hearts. In other words, as the kingdom, as, as, as the kingdom is declared and released, it releases incredible joy. The Bible says that when the John the Baptist in the womb met Mary, the Bible says he leaped the baby leapt with joy at the coming of the kingdom. I believe the Bible says that the sorrow may come in the night, but joy comes in the morning. Why does joy come in the morning? So it can last all day, amen? Sorrow comes up, but joy should last all the day. Ever read the Beatitudes? You know, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for, for they shall inherit the, the, the kingdom of God. And, and, and blessed are those who, who, who seek after, who thirst and hunger after righteousness. You know what the word blessed means? And often people have mistranslated it. The, word, the, word, the Greek word is the word markos. And that third word, mak, you know, you're, the word mak means huge. A big mak. <laughs> Oh, a Big Mac, that's got me going. A Big Mac. And that word Mac means big, it means huge. The words rios means happy. And Jesus is saying, hugely, massively happy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They're going to be so hugely happy. They're going to be hugely happy in life. 
Jesus has caused us to experience a huge happiness of life. You know, I find that joy sometimes is such a hard concept for us to grasp. We're here this morning and somebody started to weep and started to really cry, which is, you know, which is, which is good, which is great. We think, well, the Spirit of God's on that person. You know, they're weeping. They're crying. If someone was to laugh and just fall about laughing, we wouldn't see that as the same thing. And yet, the Bible is so full of this sense that, that God wants to fill our mouths with laughter and joy. You know, the world is looking for happiness and joy. They pay huge money for someone to make them laugh. Is that right? Some of the highest paid people in our world today are comedians. Because people will pay huge money because they want someone to make them laugh. And Jesus says you can have it free. I'm going to give you a spirit of joy. The joy of the Lord. If you like, joy, happy, is based on a happening. And we have the greatest happening of all. Jesus has died. He's rose from the dead. He sent the Holy Spirit That should make us the happiest people alive. Is that right? The joy of the Lord. Joy. When the great revivalist, Jonathan Edwards, he preached one of the most famous sermons ever in the world. It's called Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. When he first preached that sermon, people would feel under under such conviction They would hold on to their seats because they were afraid of falling to hell itself. People would shake. People had this awful sense of conviction as he preached that sermon. What is not really known is after he preached that sermon and conviction fell, a great joy fell on the whole church. It is said that Jonathan Edwards' wife was ecstatically full of joy for six months. She just fell about the church for six months laughing. Every time she did something, she just absolutely was overwhelmed with this amazing joy. And for six months, she was filled with this ecstatic joy over her life. That's why the first miracle that Jesus ever performed was turning water into wine. He wants to convey something powerful to us. Because wine is, 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 if you like, is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, but wine is also symbolic of joy. He wants to show that the kingdom is full of the Holy Spirit and is full of joy. Look at Acts 10. Sorry, Luke 10, verse 21. Here is Jesus himself. He says, In that hour, Jesus rejoiced. He said, I thank you, Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus was full of joy and he rejoiced. Acts 13. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. In order for us to fulfill the Father's mission, we need to be full of the Holy Spirit and we need to be full of joy. I think the evidence of whether you're filled with the Holy Spirit right now is joy. You can't really be filled with the Holy Spirit and have no joy. Is that right? You can't say, I'm really filled with the Holy Spirit, but I feel really depressed. I feel really depressed and heavy today, even though I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the evidences that you will be filled with joy. 
The Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, which is dispensation, but be filled with the Spirit. And that word dispensation means you do things that you don't normally do. When you're filled with the wrong drink, you tend to do things that you regret. Is that right? Tend to do things you wish you'd never done. Oh, but when you're filled with the Holy Ghost and filled with the Holy Spirit, there's such a joy. You find yourself doing things you could never normally do in your own ability and strength. You find yourself having a new boldness, doing things you never thought you could do, because joy strengthens you to do it. You know, right? If you're full of joy, there's nothing that can shake your life. People could say all kinds of things to you, but it doesn't affect you. Is that right? It's almost like an anesthetic that nothing seems to damage your life or affect your life as long as you're filled with joy. The most overwhelming circumstances could hit your life and you're still filled with joy. Peter and John, they were beaten, they were kicked around, and the Bible says they were filled with joy. See, when you're filled with joy, there's nothing that your life can't achieve and do. When there's incredible joy. And Jesus wants to fill us over and over again with the Holy Spirit, and the results will be incredible joy. The Bible says that when Abraham and Sarah were given this incredible, impossible situation, they would have a child, Later on in their life, the Bible says they laughed. And it's almost this sense that when the joy of the Lord is there, it's almost this sense, I know I can't do it, for I know who can. Paul says that rejoice in the Lord always. Philippians 4 says, rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. Have joy over and over again. Look at after Galatians 4, 27. Paul writes this letter to the Galatians. And those Galatians had fallen into legalism. One of the great evidences of legalism and being ruled by, by religious spirits is this. No joy. I've never yet seen a religious situation where joy's there. Every situation I've ever seen where the Spirit of God is moving, there's incredible joy and celebration. Is that right? Whenever you see legalism, whenever you see people dominated by religion, the one thing that won't be there is joy. And Galatians had, had, a, had an experience, an amazing move of God. But now they'd fallen into legalism and religious duties. And Paul says, reminds them of this. He reminds them of a... Of a of, of a prophetic word that was declared in Isaiah. Rejoice, O barren, verse 27. You who did not bear, break forth and shout. You are who are not in labor, for the desolate has many children than she who has a husband. This picture, he says, when you were in that place of being right with God, did you have joy or didn't you have joy? He says this, now because you're not right with God, one of the results of not being right with God is that you've got no joy. You've lost your joy. You've fallen into legalism. You've fallen into religious duty. And the question is, where is your joy? What a question this morning. Where's your joy? Where is your joy? I'm not talking about a natural joy that's created just when good things happen to you. I'm talking about a joy that is supernatural that God wants to pour into your heart. No matter what's it in your life, you're still full of joy. 
When David sinned and messed up, sisters, two things I ask of you, God. Number one, don't take away your presence from me. And the second thing was this. He says, Lord, would you give me back the joy of salvation? Give me back that joy that I once experienced, that I once knew. He says, Lord, I had incredible wealth, incredible wisdom. But I don't want any of that as long as I've got your joy. Give me back the joy. I can't live my life. I can't, have, I can't do anything without your joy. Is that true? Life is very, very boring without joy. You can't enjoy anything without joy. There's nothing in life you can really appreciate unless you've got the joy of God in your heart. Is that right? And so David says, above all else, Lord, please don't take away your joy. Don't let me lose the joy that I once had. The joy that I once experienced. The joy that I once had in knowing you. Please restore to me again the joy of my salvation. Remember when you first saved? Remember the incredible joy you had? It's amazing that joy caught you. You loved everybody, is that right? Everybody was wonderful. You loved everybody. And, but as time as goes on, how easy that joy we get, I think we get familiar with salvation. We can get familiar with being saved. We can get familiar with all the things God's done for us. We get familiar with the blessings. And David says, Lord, don't ever let me lose the joy. Restore to me the joy of salvation. Restore to me that wrong moment of joy. Turn me to John 17. John 17 is the great prayer that Jesus prayed. I think this is the prayer that Jesus prayed for you. He says... I don't just pray for those that are my disciples now. I pray for those who are going to follow, follow, follow me in the days ahead. And as you, read that, as you read that very carefully in John 17, there are six things that Jesus prays for. He prays firstly that we be protected. How many need protection? And the first thing he prays, he says, I pray that, that they will be protected. The second thing he prays for is that they will be united. I'm praying, Father, they will, be, they will be one as you and I are one. There will be a uniting, a, a oneness of spirit. The third thing he prayed for is that I pray they would be sanctified. They would live a life that's separated from all the values, from all the pull of this world. They wouldn't live worldly lives, but they'd live a life separated from all the values, from all the, the things of this world. The next thing he prayed for is I pray they'd experience the glory. Oh, they would know the glory, not the glory. God, they would know the glory, the, the weightiness of, their, of your prince on their lives. And the, the last thing he prayed for, he says, I pray they would experience love. They would experience how much you love them and how much I love them. So I pray that they would experience me living in them and you being in them. them in, you in me and me in you. Listen to the result of all that prayer. John 17, verse 13. I want you to see this. This is a result of knowing his protection, being unified, being sanctified, experiencing his glory, experiencing his presence, experiencing his love. The result is this. But now I come to you, and these things I speak to you, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He said, I'm praying that joy. They would have an incredible reality of my joy. How many wants the joy of Jesus? That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about experiencing the reality of the joy of Jesus. That means this morning we can expect joy. 
Because Jesus prayed that we receive joy. He said, I pray that have an incredible release of joy that would bring healing, that would bring freedom. A joy so rich and so powerful, they wouldn't even be able to describe it. The joy of Jesus. Now, I found joy brings incredible healing. When you've been wounded, when you've been hurt, when you've been disappointed, it's amazing when the joy of the Lord just fills your heart. It heals the heart. It heals the brokenness. It heals the pain. Isaiah says this, that they shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. A joy that's immeasurable. A joy that's without end. It's the joy of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? His joy. And he says, I pray that you'd experience the fullness of joy. The joy of the kingdom. How do you cultivate this joy? How how do you deepen, develop this joy? Here's the first thing. I think joy is found in right believing. What you believe will affect your joy. Romans 15 verse 30 says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in notices in believing. What you believe will affect whether you've got joy or not. If I believe in the lies of the enemy, then I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose my joy. What you believe will affect whether you have joy or not. If we believe our problems are bigger than God, then we'll lose our joy. If we believe all the negative things that the world says, what people say, if all those negative things just get a hold of our life and we believe all these negative things, we believe what the lies, what the enemy says about us, then I'll tell you one thing you're going to lose. You're going to lose your joy. Joy comes in right believing. I believe that what, what God says. God says, I love you, and I believe that God loves me. I believe that, that, that God says you have value and worth. As I believe that what God says our value and worth, it brings joy. The Bible says that we've been made the righteous of God. When I believe that, I have joy. It's when I disbelieve what God says, that I lose my joy. I, be, I say believing what God says in his word will bring you incredible joy. So if you've lost your joy, I guarantee probably the root of it is at some point you've got wrong believing. You either believe something wrong about yourself, you believe something wrong about God, or some lie has kind of got into your heart some way, and as you believe that lie, it's robbed you of your joy. Second way you need to understand that, I think joy is a choice. You never really enjoy life until you decide to do it. You've got to decide, I am going to make the right choices. I'm going to follow a life of joy. I just want to read you something. And I thought this was kind of very cool, very good. It's like a poem called Happiness. But I think we, we, we tend to think, when this is done, then I'll be happy. You know, when that, when that situation is sorted out, then I'll be happy. When this happens, I'll be happy. And there's this, what this guy says, this story he tells, this poem, if you like, what he says. He says, so stop waiting until you finish school, until you go back to school, until you lose 10 pounds, until you gain 10 pounds, until you have kids, until your kids leave their house, until you start work, until you retire, until you get married, 
until you get divorced, until Friday night, until Sunday morning, until you get a new car or a new home, until your car or home is paid off, until spring, until summer, until fall, until winter, until you're off welfare, until the first of the fifth or the fifteenth, until your son comes, to decide there is no better, better, no better time than right now to be happy. The most happiness is something that we choose. It's a daily choice. We can either dwell on our past, dwell on all the failures, dwell on all the mistakes, and we lose joy, or dwell on what God has got for our lives. Joy comes because we choose to praise. We can either choose to complain and and choose to moan, which robs us of our joy, or we can choose to rejoice. We can choose to be depressed about our problems and, and depressed about our circumstances, or we can choose to believe that God is great in our problems. We can choose to pray. Jesus asks that your joy may be filled. Often if we're prayerless, we lose joy. Prayerfulness will always bring supernatural joy. Obedience brings joy. As I choose to obey, it will bring joy. Fine, let me just say this. I think joy is based on being right with God. Now, in other words... Confront those things in our lives that aren't right with him. Confront any sin. Because that will steal your joy. Ever had that experience? And you know you're not right with God. And you know what the first thing that goes from your life? You lose your joy, is that right? Joy kind of goes. And no matter how much you try and make up for it, you know until you confess it, until you put it right, the joy doesn't come back. And that's why the Bible says as you confess it, as you put it right with him, the result will be joy being restored back into your heart. David said in Psalm 32, 1, 4, he says, when I didn't confess my sin, I felt like dry bones. Ever had that? I felt like so dry and so balanced in my life because I know there's unresolved things in my life. But as I confessed it, as I put it right with him, his joy began to fill my heart again. I think the last thing that restores joy is just by doing good things for people. Ever felt that when you do just something good for someone? And and almost you feel happier yourself than they do. Just to see a smile on their face. And I think the more we look to bless people and do good things for people and reach out to people, the more joy that comes. If we're inward looking and, and, and thinking of ourselves all the time, and that really robs us of joy. I think joy comes just by doing something amazing for someone, blessing someone, doing something good for them. And the more you do that, the more joy flows in your heart. I mean, you found that. You just you give someone something or you do someone for something. As soon as you do that, just this incredible joy just fills your heart. Um, how we need joy today, amen. We are living in a joyless world. And joy, I believe, is one of the most powerful ingredients that's going to impact and change and touch people's lives. The joy of the Lord. So we just come before him just for a few moments right now. The worship band just come back there. We're going to do something in a few moments. I've just felt so strongly to do this this morning.
I believe God wants to pour into our hearts supernatural joy. It's a joy that the world can never grasp or understand. It's supernatural because it flows from heaven itself. The joy. The joy of the Lord. The joy. Exuberant, overflowing joy. Not a joy that just stays in us. It's a joy that flows out of us. Please visit our website at the Lancet Elon Dexco.com.